right, folks. Welcome in to Pickaxe the Brawl, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. And I'm excited. A little bit late here, a little bit late getting started. I got to, or way late just a little bit uh, trying to start the pod. But I am excited to chat about this Denver Nuggets win as the Nuggets defeat the New Orleans Pelicans final score on this one, 125-113. Very exciting stuff. Uh, Nadine's been in here. Hello, Nadine. Uh, Rob just popped in. What's up, Ryan? What's up, Rob? Really appreciate you guys hopping in and hope everybody's having a good weekend. Uh, I know that this is usually the time where I would be chatting with Swiper. Uh, we are trying to figure out our schedule a little bit. He's very busy. Uh, it's uh, around MLK time, and Swiper does work on the other side, so he's uh, he's doing everything he can to free himself up. Uh, but we're doing and having a good time, so probably should do that tomorrow is what I would guess. But uh, we will see, given that Denver's playing at 1.30 in the afternoon tomorrow for some reason, uh, but is what it is. We're just going to ride with it and have a good time. Uh, but fortunately, Denver Nuggets bounce back. They bounce back after what was a pretty disgusting performance on Wednesday night against the Utah Jazz. And they come back and, and they play against a really, really, really good team in the New Orleans Pelicans that is very, very talented. Still trying to figure some things out New Orleans is, but uh, they are good. They are talented, clearly. And Denver took it to them. They took it to them immediately and immediately showed that they were the better squad and won the first three quarters in a row. Uh, it wasn't until the fourth quarter where anything different really happened. But ultimately, Denver still got the win and got the dub. Uh, that was nice to see. This was a domination. This was very, very good. I wasn't at the game. Uh, I don't know if, for those of you that follow me on Twitter, X, I said that I wasn't going to be there. I needed to force myself to not go because I've been to every home game. I'm one of the only people in the media room that's been to every home game. And I just decided, you know what, let's like the season is long. It is important to kind of understand the pacing of this thing. And so I, I decided, let me just watch the game from home. I watched the whole thing and it was nice. Watched it with my brother. We had a good time and we got to see a very, very impressive Nuggets performance. Uh, lots of flashbulb plays. Lots of highlights, lots of good things to talk about, and we're going to talk about them all. Uh, first segment, we're going to go over game flow and just what happened. Second segment, why this was the perfect game for Jokic, Murray, and Porter together. Uh, we'll be chatting about that. And then third segment, I'm going to talk about the West, just kind of like replacing good teams and how it's insane and there's no shortage of good teams here. And then kind of previewing ring night for Bruce Brown tomorrow when the Pacers come to town. Uh, but yeah, let's first go over the notes on what was a good game. Denver needed a bounce back for sure. They absolutely needed something to hang their hat on a little bit after eh, a couple performances in a row where people are wondering, ah, is this, is this team really like they like they're a championship contender, but they're messing around a little bit too much here. Messed around a little bit against Detroit, messed around a little bit against um like certainly against Utah and then got burned. They did not mess around on Friday nights. And from the get-go, you could see the level of focus, the level of intensity, 
And it certainly felt like Denver was as locked in as they could possibly be for a game that they needed to get. Uh, There are very few, not gimmies, but like opportunities where you should win over the course of this kind of 10-11 game stretch that Denver's on. This was one of them. New Orleans is a good team, but Denver's at home. They should absolutely win it. They should win every home game. And the fact that they haven't, uh, I think explains a lot of people's consternation a little bit, but Denver still approached this one and did a pretty nice job. Zion got going pretty early, but I thought that AG's defense on him throughout the game, especially in quarters two and three, really, really good, especially when he was one-on-one. Now, Zion had a million points in the fourth quarter. Almost all of those were involving a screen. Almost all of them were involving uh, either DeAndre Jordan or Nikola Jokic into the action, guys that can't really get up that high. And that's going to be a matchup against Zion that if this was a playoff matchup, Denver would obviously solve this. They they would advance if they face the Pelicans in the playoffs. But it would be pretty tough, especially if the Pelicans were able to find ways to get Zion moving against Denver's centers. And that really was a, a pretty big blight in the fourth quarter. But other than that, AG, I thought, did a really nice job matching up physically with Zion, contesting him at the top, being physical down low. It was good. And then KCP, he got the DPOG chain last night. He shut down Braden Ingram. That was a pretty nonchalant shutting down. It was very, very clear that uh, he was up for that task. And Brandon Ingram just not really ready for it and not really into the game. Uh, I'm not sure what it was. I think it might have just been KCP's great defense. But it certainly felt like Every single time down, the Pelicans should have been going to Zion Williamson. And there was one distinct play in the fourth quarter where Pelicans are making their run. It's like a 13-point game, 15-point game, whatever it is. They get a stop, and then Brandon Ingram comes down. And he's like, you know what? It's my turn. Takes the baseline fadeaway from like 13, 14 feet, bricks it. And everybody breathed a sigh of relief because they didn't have to deal with Zion on the possession. So it's pretty funny how games like that work where there have been times where Brandon Ingram has been unstoppable facing the Nuggets, but every single time he takes a shot means that Zion Williamson is not taking a shot and they're not creating an outside three where they shot pretty well from three last night. So I think it's, it's pretty indicative of the Pelicans that Ingram just shouldn't be the guy. Like what they need is for Zion to grow up and really assume that responsibility, but he's just not going to do it. And it's pretty interesting to find out. Um, but I do think that Zion is is the iteration. Like, if he can stay healthy for them, and if he can play downhill and be physical and be one of those consistent options for them as a, as a first option, kind of leading their team on and off the court, then their ceiling goes up. It just does. With Ingram there, it's just not very high. So, pretty interesting to find out. Michael Porter's dunk in the first quarter, was sick. That was what I based the thumbnail off of, basically. That dunk, uh, the kick out from Jamal Murray to Michael Porter on the right wing, he drives the gap right down the middle of Main Street and dunks over Jonas Valanciunas, and it was a forceful dunk where he got up, and it reminded me of 2020 Michael Porter, where he's just unstoppable when he can get downhill and get up with the athleticism that he used to have. 
he doesn't quite have it anymore. This was probably the one time this season where I'm like, oh, God. Um, that was the most impressive Michael Porter dunk that we've seen in a while. <laughs> it was really, really cool to see. Uh, he deserves a ton of credit for the way that he's approached this process. And it hasn't always been smooth sailing lately, but last night he was fantastic. And I'll talk about it more in the second segment between him, Jokic, and Murray. Trey Murphy, uh, kind of a, a comp for Michael Porter, somebody who is a little at a little bit different phase of their career, but Trey Murphy's still very good. He's not shy from three, went two of nine from the field, two of eight from three last night. He wasn't good. Um, and some of the threes that he was taking were extremely ambitious. And it reminded me that, man, Michael Porter's shot selection, it's actually really good. <laughs> it's really good for Denver. And it's interesting to watch somebody who's trying to kind of find their way and navigate in Trey Murphy. And he just, like, he was taking 29-footers, 30-footers all night. And he can make it, but it doesn't mean that you should take it. So pretty interesting to see. Christian Brown, not fantastic. Had three turnovers, including a charge and a travel. Uh, that's pretty much par for the course at this point. He has not really impressed me this season with the way that he has approached the game. Not not approached. Okay, that, that sounds bad. Uh, with the way that he has approached his offensive game. He's trying to explore some things, but him dribbling and creating and doing the necessary things to become a better player and a more useful, versatile player. It just hasn't happened this year. The confidence in the three is one thing. And if I go and look at his three-point percentage, I'm probably going to be pretty positively surprised because he has been shooting the three ball well. I don't want to I don't want to dismiss that out of hand. 37.7%. So it's coming down a little bit. Um, free throw percentage is okay, but the actual two-point percentage is not there, and the creation has not been there. there. These are the growing pains, though, and I don't want to just immediately dismiss it out of hand. It's going to take him a little bit, but the charges and the travels, as he's trying to navigate how to become a secondary creator, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some time. So I think I may have underestimated how much time it would take. I thought he was closer than where he was, but it's just uh, it's just going to take a little bit. Um, now, Peyton Watson, really good. <laughs> really good last night. That was a lot of fun to see. And some of the defensive plays that he had rotating over, he had a nice steal and pick six, basically, on a, for a dunk. He had a nice rotation block and just continues to continues to be like the best bench guy. Like, I just never expected that this year. I, I never thought that that would be a thing. But Peyton Watson is the best bench guy. He just is. And his ability to slot in to basically whatever lineup the Nuggets have with their starters is really, really important. I did not think he would be a good enough shooter in order to slot in the way that he has. But if I go to his three-point percentage, he might be creeping up on Christian Brown, man. <laughs> he's He's been pretty good. Only 35.1%, but he's creeping up there. He, I know he went one of five this last game, but he went two of three last night and just continues to find ways to impact the game. And it's very, very impressive stuff. Like he's 21. Like that's that's not supposed to happen the way that it does, but he just appears more under control a lot of the time than Christian Brown sometimes. And that's 
pretty wild. So really, really impressive stuff from Peyton Watson. A um, couple more here, then we'll hit a break. Decent Reggie Jackson game. DeAndre Jordan was good, even though he, he continued to let Larry Nance shoot these wide open threes. I know that he's not supposed like he's not supposed to be able to contest a pick and pop five. Like he's there to rebound. He's there to uh, do the things that he needs to do under the basket, just uh, protecting the rim. And he did some good things. He had a couple contests on Zion Williamson. He had a couple couple contests on other guys rotating over. And then he rebounded. And he also was a lob threat at times where Jamal Murray was able to throw up a couple passes to him. And one of those was a turnover that basically sailed out of bounds. The other, it was caught and it was dunked and that was good. So, I, yeah, I mean, I wish there was a more permanent solution here because Denver can't keep going to DeAndre Jordan and being like, yeah, you need to save us on the second unit. Like, that's not good enough. Denver's got to get a better solution there. Zeke Nagy is supposed to be that solution. Did not play until garbage time. So still waiting on it. Um, but yeah, I, I sort of glossed over Reggie. The shots that he was making were very impressive. Naturally, it's going to be less efficient because of the difficult caliber of the shots that he takes sometimes. But if he can just make his spot up threes when Jamal's out there, because that's the thing. When Jamal and Reggie are out there on the court together, one of them is going to be filling a spot-up role. One of them is going to be filling an off-ball role. And it should be Reggie sometimes. And he can hit catch-and-shoot threes. And if he hits them at a reasonable clip, then they're going to be just fine with that as a second unit option. But they're going to need to go to it every now and then. That's going to have to be a thing. So I'm curious to see whether they do, but uh, that's that's something I'll be watching for sure. Uh, and then Jamal uh, paced himself on his shot attempts, took some shots in the fourth quarter. I'll talk about this a little bit more in the second segment, but I thought that his pacing of how um, how much he was taking shots and how he was distributing the ball was really good. He had 20 points, had 15 shots, but I think he was like 5 of 11, 6 of, I think it was 5 of 11 heading into the fourth quarter and then took four shots and made three of them in the fourth. So honestly, that's what it should be like. It should be, hey, not necessarily taking 15 shots heading into the fourth quarter. You should be getting up to 15 shots at that point, and you should be trying to go for eight to 10 assists per game. That would be my goal for him every single time, especially as Denver goes through this tough stretch. The most important thing they can do is keep everybody involved, keep everybody going the same direction, and he can do that. And he could do that with the second unit too. So thought he had a good game. Oh, and that uh that Jokic pass. That Jokic pass was pretty good. <laughs> that's uh that's one thing that I'll I'll make sure to mention. Right before halftime, over the head, he uh he spotted Aaron Gordon right before he actually made the pass. Looks at him, looks away, throws the ball over his head. Pretty sweet. Like Jokic, 27-10-14. Pretty solid. Pretty good. He knows what he's doing. So, interesting stuff. Interesting to see how this has gone. But either way, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to chat about the Jokic-Murray-MPJ dynamic, how they can continue to feed off of each other, and why last game I thought was as perfect as it could possibly be. But first, everybody this podcast, as you know, it's brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports, who are changing the game 
you can win some money this season with Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now when you use promo code MILEHIGH, you will score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with promo code MILEHIGH. Download the Superbook Sports app, enter the promo code, and you'll get $250 courtesy of Superbook. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. And we're back. Pickaxe and Roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. Make sure to hit that like and subscribe to the channel. Would really, really appreciate that if you are in here. Uh, if you are listening along on the audio side, thank you so much. Make sure to uh, hit that uh, follow button over there and hit that subscribe. And if you want to, rate and review to the podcast. All right. Let's chat about... Actually, here, here's a here's a good comment here from Rob. Playoff minutes, PWOT 20 to 25 uh, per night. CB and RJ, 10 to 15 per night. Strother, Zeke, DJ, based on the matchup situations. I think that's fair, and I think that's a good way to kind of approach this. I do think that P. Watt's kind of separated himself as a guy that if he can hit those shots in the playoffs, those outside shots, that you want him out there for his defensive abilities. When he is staggering and when Denver's got to rest some starters, he can be out there replicating Aaron Gordon's role, Michael Porter's role, KCP's role. There's a lot of opportunities for him to do that. Reggie will replicate replicate Jamal a little bit, and Christian Brown kind of fills in the gaps. That's kind of where I'm at with what the rotation is right now. So interesting to see. I like this breakdown, Rob. I'm not sure if that's exactly how I would do it, but I do think it's a good thought. Okay. Jokic, Murray, MPJ. There's been a lot of discussion, right? There's been a lot of discussion on who gets the shots, who gets to make the decisions, what the process is like, who's mad at who, things like that. I think this game, it didn't put it to bed because that's always going to be there. But I do think that it's important to mention that these guys are so good. (laughs) And the offense while they're out there is so good. Um, It is not always going to be perfect. There are going to be times where whether it is a a moment in time, or it's a, uh, you're matching up with a difficult opponent, you're going on the road, guys get up off the uh, the wrong side of the bed, it can be pretty difficult at times, I understand that. Uh, but Denver, in general, does a great, great job of trying to get everybody involved. Like, in general. It's not always going to be perfect, but it is generally pretty good. Here are the best lineups from an offensive perspective, three-man lineups um, in the entire league. You've got Indiana, three different Philly lineups that include Nicholas Batum, two other Indiana lineups, then Murray, KCP, Porter, then Jokic, Murray, Porter. These guys, when they're on the floor together, have a plus 17 net rating, and that includes this bad stretch that happened against the Utah Jazz. Um, For the vast majority of their minutes, these guys are kicking ass 
on the offensive end. And usually, 90% of the time, 95% of the time, the process is very, very good. 128.6 offensive rating. Among all lineups that have at least 300 minutes played, and this lineup, by the way, has 587, so if I wanted to update the, uh, the actual totals, actually, you know what, let's do that. Among all three-man lineups that have 500 minutes played in the entire NBA, this is the second-best net rating among all of them. It is the third-best offensive rating. Talent is going to always win out in a lot of these situations, but especially when that talent knows how to play together and knows what they're supposed to do, Jokic's responsibility is both as the leading scorer and leading playmaker. Murray's responsibility is to be the secondary scorer, but also the secondary playmaker. And that is a really difficult balance sometimes, especially when Jokic is tilted one way or the other. Let's say he's really heavy on the scoring, which doesn't happen often, but let's say he carries, like he did at the beginning of the year, a 32-35% usage rate. And he's just like in his back, he's scoring really well, he knows what he's supposed to do. For Murray at the beginning of the year, it was kind of easy because he's like, okay, Joker's going to be that aggressive. I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to take a, a step back on the the actual amount of shots I'm going to take. And it was pretty clear. Denver won a lot of games that way. And then Jokic realized, man, it's pretty hard to carry that usage for an entire season. So he stepped it back a little bit, and he stopped shooting as much. And then Murray sees this, and the rest of the team kind of sees this. And what is the natural response in that situation, especially for a guy like Murray? Well, if you're the secondary scorer, the secondary playmaker, and the primary scorer goes into kind of secondary or tertiary scorer mode, then you're like, okay, I got to kind of step up here. I got to kind of do some of these things, these important things. And... I think that Murray pushed the slider a little bit too far on the scoring for five to seven games. And Denver was okay during that stretch. They weren't great. They weren't terrible. But then this last game happened against Utah, and it just wasn't like something wasn't clicking. The effort wasn't there. And they recentered, they, re- they refocused. And against the New Orleans Pelicans on Friday night, it was very clear that they played a perfect game. And not necessarily from a perfect efficiency standpoint or anything like that. Jokic, how many shots did he take? Um, actually, I forgot. Let me just check that here. Jokic took 17 shots, and he had four free throw attempts. I don't think he had any and one, so he had 19 shooting possessions. 19 is the right number for Jokic, because what that says to me in his 32 minutes was that he was properly aggressive. He put the pedal to the metal at times, but for the most part, he was still able to collect 14 assists to two turnovers. He was still great as a playmaker. And his aggressiveness often drew the attention of the opposing defense. And I said, okay, we got to stop this dude. He's not being stopped. We got to stop him. And then he had 14 assists. Murray doing a great secondary score, a secondary great uh, playmaker impression. 20 points, 15 shots, so 15 shooting possessions because the, the free throw that he had was a technical free throw. And then nine assists to two turnovers himself. So between those two, 
they took, um, that is 19, 15, 34 shooting possessions and 23 assists and four turnovers. That's really, really good as a, as a duo. Because what that allowed still was, especially with the staggering when Murray was able to stagger with the bench, and he was able to collect some of his shots and assist opportunities with the bench unit, was Porter still found his opportunities too. He had 12 shooting opportunities, or I guess 13 with the uh, the three-shot foul. 13 shooting opportunities for him, 15 for Murray, uh, I think it's 13 for Gordon, and then 9 for KCP. That is a great, great distribution. And Denver's going to struggle with that at times because they are often so reliant on the two-man game that it's not just Murray, by the way. It's it's Jokic, too. He often wants to go to that himself. But those guys are so comfortable going to that. They know that they'll go to that in the playoffs. But during the regular season, there is no reason why Denver can't repeat what they just had, where Murray takes on some playmaking, takes on some shooting, and this was, I think, the right balance for him, for Jokic, and for Porter. Porter, 20 points, 10 rebounds, a steal and a block. He got involved on the defensive end, was very good. Murray led the team in plus-minus at plus 18 in a 12-point win, which means they were minus 6 in the minutes that he didn't play, by the way. Actually, that was entirely uh, garbage time related, so uh, discard that. Plus 18 was really, really good. And then Jokic was only, only, sorry, I bumped my mic, uh, was only plus 12. And he was still very, very good. It wasn't anything that he did wrong that he actually had a lower plus minus. It was just kind of the circumstance and Zion doing what he did. And there were a couple of plays here or there that kind of uh, figured that out. But I just thought that Murray, especially with the second unit, he looked to set up Christian Brown a ton. He set up Peyton Watson on a three. He dimed up uh, DeAndre Jordan on a lob. There were these opportunities where he was looking for other people. And then there were times where he was also isolating. And then there were times where Reggie Jackson was leading the pick and roll. And there are opportunities for him to just do that, for him to not have to take over. Murray doesn't have to be scoring 37 points in order to be the most impactful player he could possibly be. I think this game was a way more impactful game than the Detroit one. I just do. And I think his balance, his ability to get others involved, he set up Porter multiple times. Uh, yeah, that feud is, is dead, by the way. There's no feud there. Um, Murray made the right pass. He made the right plays. He did a really, really good job. And it just seems to me like this is the right equilibrium that they should be trying to go for. Porter has to be aggressive in the minutes that Murray doesn't play. And he can't just fade into the background of those minutes because they're too often in those minutes where Murray is off the floor, Jokic is on, and Porter's out there, where Porter just stands in the corner anyway, and Jokic goes to the post. Like, they should be involving Mike, and they should be trying to get him several opportunities as a secondary creator, DHO guy, or just getting him to run in transition. And it worked out like a charm. It was fantastic. So, look, I'm very impressed with the way that Denver handled last game, and it's not always going to be like that. I'm sure that the Pelicans were kind of due for a bad performance, and they weren't great. They were bad on defense. Like, it just was, like, very clear. There was one possession at the beginning of the second quarter where they just kind of watched Murray 
walk right into an open three-pointer, and he, like, very looked around. There's nobody here. Just shoot it. Um, and uh, that was very clear. But it was still a good job by the Nuggets to find the right distribution. And I think if they can continue to find that over the course of these next nine games or so, they're going to survive it. It's going to be okay. Now, Denver's going to have to execute. Porter's going to have to continue to hit shots. Jokic is going to have to continue to hit shots. Murray's going to have to continue to hit shots. And of all those guys, I think Murray's job, like the shots that he is taking off the dribble, creating, those are going to be the ones that I'm a little bit more worried about. So like, it's easier for Murray, like he went 8 of 15 last night. He could have gone 5 of 15. And then things get a little bit dicey. Jokic with the types of shots that he takes, I'm less worried about his shooting efficiency dropping down because he gets to his spots so much easier than Murray does. Porter, like, it's all it's all rhythm-based. It's all, like, mostly spot-ups and cuts and DHOs. He's usually very good at that, so if he can stay on track with that, then I'm not as worried about him either. But if Murray kind of gets to his places and is a lot more comfortable, I think Denver's going to be okay. I think they're going to be okay in this stretch, and we're going to be very impressed with them by the end of it. And if that's the case, that'll be exactly what we need to see for Denver to be playoff contention, championship contention worthy. There's still some things that they got to figure out, still some gaps that they got to fill, but I do think that this was the right balance. And Denver is good on them for striking it, good on Mike for staying involved, good on Murray for keeping him involved. Uh, it was a it was a good balance all around. And then Jokic, like, I mean, he's still like Jesus Christ, Serbian Jesus Christ with the basketball. Like, it's just very clear. So, um, good on him. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to chat about the rest of the Western Conference, as well as Bruce Brown's ring night. Should be a lot of fun. But first, good morning, Broncos. Good stuff all season from Cody Rourke. He's a great Broncos analyst, and you should make sure to follow him. Make sure to see all of the stuff that he looks for, and especially with the Broncos kind of in a, a really weird kind of place. Obviously, don't have to focus on them too much, but they're about to make some very interesting decisions with Russell Wilson, and they've got like the 12th pick in the NFL draft. I'm curious to see how it goes. Should be should be very fun. All right, final segment here. Let's chat about the West. Right now, Denver's in third, and they are on the heels of Minnesota and OKC. Minnesota's 27 and 11, OKC's 26 and 11, Denver's 27 and 13. They've played 40 games, Minnesota's played 38, OKC's played 37. That's kind of evening out a little bit, by the way. Denver's had a little bit of a gap. They only played two games, uh, Wednesday and Friday, so far this week, and other teams have played a little bit more. So good to see. That kind of adjusting a little bit. Now Denver's reward for that is they're going to go on a five-game road trip. Super cool. Super, super fun. Um, but yeah, it's going to be very interesting. The Clippers are 25 and 13. Denver's 27 and 13. So the Clippers are effectively tied with Denver in the loss column right now. And their analytics are better. Like they just are. Clippers have been really impressive. And I am very curious to see how it goes with them. 
um, because they are like they always have been a very talented team. They always have been a supremely talented team, and they had the depth and they had the star power, and those stars didn't show up with uh, Kawhi and PG too often. Some of it was injuries, some of it was other stuff. But then you trade for James Harden, you trade some of that depth, especially like Marcus Morris wasn't necessary. Nicholas Batum was a tough loss, but they've still got other guys that could replace him. Robert Covington, kind of same thing, but he also kind of floated out of their rotation. And uh, KJ Martin, who never played. And you go get James Harden, of all people. And he kind of starts setting the table for the stars, and he makes it easier for them to sort of figure some stuff out. So I think that the Clippers are sneakily becoming very, very dangerous. They have won 17 of their last 20 games. Let me say that again. They've won 17 of their last 20 games. That is very impressive and something that should not be taken lightly. Like, they are really, really good. And if you do the matchups against those teams, like, who who guards Harden for Denver? Who guards Paul George for Denver? It's a little tough. So, like, if you have Kawhi Leonard and if you have Aaron Gordon on him, does that mean that KCP is on Paul George and Jamal Murray is on James Harden? May not be the best idea in the world. So would you rather have Michael Porter on James Harden? Do you move him onto Paul George and then have KCP guard James Harden? That's a pretty tough matchup too. So I'm curious as to what they decide to do and how that would actually break down. But that's a tough one. And the best version of the Clippers is way better than I think people are are really realizing, especially Nuggets fans are realizing. So we will see. Now, We've seen this dance before. We've seen this song and dance before with the Clippers and James Harden. So we'll see whether they can actually survive it. But I don't know. I think they're a better team than a lot of others. Um, And you look at the rest of the West. Sacramento's fifth. They're not really scary. They also have a .5 point differential, a plus .5. That is not good enough. Dallas is 23-16. and They're currently tied for sixth with New Orleans, who's... Like, I think New Orleans is good. I think they're better than Dallas and Sacramento. Um, Phoenix is up to eighth after they were really struggling. Bradley Beal looks a little bit better. Houston, 19 and 18. Houston's got three wins against the Nuggets, so hard for me to really discount them that much. Um, like, they're a good team. Utah, all the way up to 10th. And then the Lakers are 11th and the Warriors are 12th. How funny is that? The Lakers and Warriors used to be feared. They used to be the team that everybody would be looking at, being like, hey, man, that could be the tough team. And to be fair, the Lakers just made the Western Conference Finals last year. Although I think we can effectively say that was more fluky than anything, just the way that things were going. And the Warriors, obviously, like, they played the Lakers in the second round of the playoffs. That is a, like, it's just very interesting the way that this is broken down. Like, I don't respect those teams in any way, shape, or form. I don't think they can challenge Denver in any way possible. Lakers or Warriors, I don't think that they could do it. I think the Clippers can. I think the T-Wolves can. I think the Thunder can. And I think that's it. I think that's it for the three teams that like could really seriously challenge Denver. Um, yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's interesting. We'll see what happens, but it is fascinating that the West 
it just basically replaced the Lakers and Warriors with like Minnesota and OKC. And the West just never dies. It is always tough. It is always good. And uh, yeah, it's just interesting to see the way that this is kind of broken down. Um, Okie dokie asks, can you address the Murray all-star snub? He doesn't even get a mention in the media. So the first thing is that he missed 14 games. Murray did. And like, that is always going to be a thing. Like that's like, it's hard to make that up because so much of narratives and all-star narratives and like how a player's playing are based on the first 20 or so games of the season. And Murray missed 13 of the first 20 games, basically. That's tough. Like, it's tough to overcome. So he's been out of sight, out of mind for a lot of people. And he also hasn't been so good in his return that he has really changed that narrative. There have been enough times where he's played great. There have been enough times where he's played meh, where I can understand not having him. Like, this just isn't the year. And I did a podcast, I think it was um, on Monday, about whether Murray could be an all-star. I think that's dead. I think that's done. There are too many talented players in the Western Conference that you have to credit over him, in my opinion. Like, just looking at the rest of the West, are you really going to not put in Anthony Edwards? Like, Shea is getting in over him. Luka's getting in over him. Steph is getting in over him. Like, that's just going to happen. Really not crediting Ant? Okay, so that's one of the guard spots. You're really not crediting, like, De'Aaron Fox? Like, he deserves it. Frankly, James Harden probably deserves it over Jamal. That's like super stupid, but like it is it is what it is. Like that's just how this is going to break down. And I haven't even gotten to Devin Booker. So like there are players that do deserve it. And Murray might make it as a replacement. He might make it as an injury guy. He also might turn that down. He might decide, you know what, I'd rather go home. So I'm not going to get voted in. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. It is interesting that it will come down to the coaches. And like the coaches might decide, you know what? We've seen what Jamal Murray can do in the playoffs. We've seen what he looks like. We know how good he is. We want to credit him. And they might decide to vote him in anyway, even if he's not the most deserving player this year. Um, And that would feel a little bit off. It would feel a little bit eh. But I mean, we've also seen what happens when Russell Westbrook gets that. Like, he's had that for sure. Um, Yeah, no, it's very, very clear. By the way, and J.K. Walrus says it here, the lack of D-book love has been surprising. They're using the tier of guys that make it just off of name alone. You know, you would think that, but because Phoenix has been pretty meh so far this year, they're only they're 6-4 and four in their last 10 games, they're 20-18, and 18, they're 8th in the Western Conference. People forget Like, Devin Booker's numbers, they're just better than Jamal's. And, like, I'm a Jamal guy. 26 points, 7.7 assists, 48 from the field, 37.7 from three. Uh, 21.5 PER. If we just go off of, like, PER, for example, uh, Devin Booker is at 21.5. He is at plus 2.2 BPM, which, actually, Jamal definitely leads him there. Um, Jamal's at a 20.9 PER and a plus 4.3 BPM. So who knows? Like they're probably equal cases. And if we're talking about name value, then Devin Booker just has a name that's uh, like stronger than Jamal's name based off of the market that he's been in and the situations that he's been in before. But frankly, I mean, Jamal 
does does deserve some of that credit too. So I don't know. We'll be interesting to see, but I just I sort of doubt that Jamal would make it as an all star over Devin Booker if we're just going off of raw numbers. Like Murray's averaging like twenty and a half points and six and a half assists, and Booker's averaging twenty six points and seven point seven assists. Like it's hard to really like match that. So will be interesting to see. Um, I'll do a full uh, All Star pod. I've already did it a little bit last Monday, so if you if you're interested in hearing some more of those thoughts, then last Monday's pod is definitely one. Uh, but that is something to monitor. Um, okay, final thing here before we get out of here. I get and I gotta go. Ring night for Bruce Brown tomorrow. It's actually a one thirty tip for some reason. Not sure why it's so early, but it is a one thirty Mountain tip. And Bruce Brown will be in town for the Indiana Pacers. And now Tyrese Halliburton will not be. He is still hurt. Uh, but do not underestimate the Pacers without Tyrese Halliburton. Like DJ McConnell just had 14 assists and 25 minutes off the bench for them. They are 9-1 in their last 10 games. So this is not a game that Denver can overlook. They are about to go on a five-game road trip, and they might overlook it anyway, especially with Halliburton not playing. But they're 9-1 in their last 10. And it sort of feels to me like this could be one where Denver kind of regrets the effort that they put in. Looking ahead to the Philly game. Looking ahead to the Boston game. It is very clear that that could happen. And Denver's just got to take it a game at a time. They That's the only way that they can approach this. And they might be able to because Bruce Brown is coming into town. A little bit different when you're just going to go face a random Utah team. Bruce Brown is a guy that they won a championship with, and he deserves as much credit as possible. I recently had a tweet that compared his numbers to Peyton Watson, uh, just as like a credit to Calvin Booth and the way that he was able to replace Bruce Brown in some ways. Uh, but should be interesting to see whether Bruce kind of tries to get up as many shots as possible, whether he's defending Jamal Murray. I, I'd assume that he would. And I think that's going to be a pretty physical, fun matchup. So really looking forward to it. Um, Patrick McMahon says no Embiid. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, he, I think the message was that he's day to day right now and that he could come back on Monday or Tuesday. Uh, Philly's got a back to back on that Monday, Tuesday, and they face Denver on the second night of the back to back. Now they face it at home. So a little bit different, but it wouldn't surprise me if Embiid came back on Monday and then sat Tuesday. That'd be pretty tough. <laughs> now, it might flip it around. They might decide, you know what? Sit Monday, play the second night of the back-to-back on Tuesday, and then your first game back is against Jokic? That's a tough matchup for Embiid. Now, he is at home, uh, and they might decide, you know what? We're going to sit you entirely, and then we'll just play you the next time. We'll play you the next game. And so that would be that'd be very interesting to see. Uh, I don't know how that situation is going to work out, but... If you have been following along on how many games Embiid has missed, um, he is, I think, at 27 games total, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 27 games. By the way, Jamal Murray has played 26. And Philly has played 37 games, so he's missed 10. If he misses another 7, then he's done from awards. Like, that is something that he's going to match up, that he's going to figure out. So, he could either come back earlier than he may want to, 
face Jokic or face whoever he is. I think it's like Houston or somebody on the, the front end of the back-to-back. And he could either do that and try to save the, the games missed, or he could sit a little bit longer. Then he's got even less wiggle room towards the end of it. So I don't know. That's a that's a tough matchup from from him for his perspective. And I'm very curious to see how he handles it. But yeah, that matchup, it may be impacted by injury to Embiid once again. So we will see what happens, but I'm, I'm curious to see how it goes. Folks, I think that's going to do it. I think that's going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. Really appreciate all the love, all the support on the show. It is always awesome to be able to hop on and get to chat with all y'all. It is one of the, pre- the, the pleasures of this game and one of the things I try not to take for granted. So really appreciate all the love. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button down below. Would greatly appreciate the support as we continue to grow the Mile High Sports platform. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning into the show. I should be back tomorrow with Swipa uh, for a Weekends with Swipa episode. We'll talk to you guys very soon.